Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Hey, thanks, Ben. It really is. It, it is good to be here, or in Spencer's words, I am stoked. I am really stoked. It is good. To, it's good to see all of you. I hope that you've had a great weekend. You've enjoyed this beautiful weather. Yesterday, I spent all day, which is kind of like my heaven on earth, all day on the football field. Annette knows that I always come home charged up, just hanging out with these kids, just playing football, teaching them things more than football, teaching them things about life. And that's so cool to be able to see that happen, see formation of young people and young adults. And that's really what making disciples that make disciples is all about. And so look in your community. Maybe there are a few kids that need you. Maybe there's someone that needs you to disciple them in the ways of the Lord. And that is just exciting. There's nothing, nothing more fulfilling. So what I want you to do this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. That's Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seat pockets, or excuse me, under the seats around you. And literally, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of those blue Bibles that I hope you find and make it yours. We want you to have a Bible We want you to have God's word in your hands, so take that Bible. We're in a series titled, When God Moves, and it's a study of one of the most exciting, absolutely most exciting books in the Bible. That's the book of Acts. And if you remember last weekend, we we talked about a few things, and we asked this question. We asked the question, how can I make the book of Acts my story? And really, it's about a personal relationship. It's about making the things and the events and how the Holy Spirit moved in the book of Acts. How do I make that my story? And we discovered in the first 11 verses the answer to that question. And it really begins to make the book of Acts your story. It begins by accepting God's friendship. That God wants a friendship with you. That he wants closeness with you. And there's nothing more, uh, I think, fulfilling and great than to have a friendship with God. Yes, the book of Acts is a historical book because it's about our beginnings as a church. church. Yes, it has theological underpinnings. But more than these, it's about relationship. The book of Acts was written to be your story. It is your story. Whose story is it? It's my story. Say it again. It's my story. You got to own it. You got to own it and say, this is my story. God has put this in writing so the book of Acts can be my story. There was one other thing that we want to remind you, that I want to remind you about, that we talked about last weekend, and that's this. Jesus is coming soon. Can you remember that? (laughs) Say that. Jesus is coming soon. It's huge. It's huge that we remember this. The early church didn't talk about how Jesus would come back. They didn't get into all the the theology. They they didn't even, I don't think, knew post-trib, pre-trib, mid-trib. You know, those are the things that we spend, really, we spend a great deal of our time talking about. The early church never talked about that. They talked about what theologians call the imminent return of Christ. What they talked about is this. It could happen any moment. It could happen any moment. And when you live under this sense of his soon return, it changes how you live today. 
how you treat people in your professional life, in your family life, in your church life. When you live under the sense that He is coming back, it empowers you to be a different person, that you were meant for more than just this life. Amen. That there's something beyond this life, and that's eternity with Christ. Now today, the question that I want us to ask is this, how can I keep my story real? How can I keep my story alive? How can it stay fresh in my life? Have you ever felt that you're just going through the motions? That when you talk about your story, it's about things of the past? That you, your story isn't fresh, it isn't alive? Well, today it's about keeping it real. I love that phrase, keeping it real. And it's really the second half of chapter 1 in the book of Acts that teaches us how to keep our story real today, fresh, right now, in verses 12 through 26. And I want you to look there with me just for a moment. We're going to look at these verses and we're going to talk about keeping our story real. And there's some, there's some components here that we see in this early church that help them be honest be truthful, have integrity as they lived out their story with each other. So look at verses 12 through 14 with me. It says this, And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Where were they? They had just come back from Christ's ascension. I mean, can you imagine that? They were standing together and they were watching Jesus go to heaven. Wow, that that would have been incredible to watch. And so that's what they were doing. So they're coming back now into Jerusalem from a hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now look at verse 14. Just for a moment, put your finger on verse 14 because the early church knew that in order to keep their story real and alive, they needed community. They needed community. You can fill in the blanks on the back of your bulletin. You can follow along in the notes. What this is about is really community. It says here, look at verse 14, those first, that first phrase, they joined together. They had this incredible commitment to be with one another. They met in the temple courts. They went from house to house. They had this deference towards each other. They knew that keeping their story real meant being with one another. That they could be accountable to those that are around them. They understood the value of being in community. They were in one accord. And you read that all through the book of Acts. You, you see that phrase, and they were in one accord. And I, and I think we've lost a lot of that. I really do. I think we've lost a lot of the importance of that. And, and why we've lost it is because the hyper-individualism of our culture. I heard of a report not uh, too long ago written by... Um, uh, the Huffington Report, it, it does some business statistics and does things like that. And, and, and they, they, they gave this report, this article, and in the article, they said, how many Starbucks drinks can you actually order? How many can you actually order? How many do you think you can actually order? I'm not talking about the food. I'm just talking about the drinks, the variations of kinds of drinks you can order in Starbucks. Would you say it's 10,000? Maybe 20,000? No, it's 80,000 plus 
that, that those are the variations of drinks that you can order from Starbucks. You see, we live in a hyper-individualistic uh, community culture. I got this, uh, maybe you saw it, I, I love it. It's a, a letter a mother wrote to her 13-year-old son because this 13-year-old boy, he decided that he didn't want to obey by the rules, that he could do whatever he wanted because, hey, everything uh, in life that was about him. And, and mom wrote this letter, and I love this letter. This is a wise mom. She said, Dear Aaron, since you seem to have forgotten that you were only 13 and I'm the parent and that you won't be in control or you won't be controlled, I guess you will need to learn a lesson in independence. Also, as you threw in my face that you are making money now, it will be easier to buy back all the items I bought for you in the past. If you would like your lamp and light bulbs or access to the internet, you will need to pay your share of the cost. Rent, $430. Electricity, $116. Internet, $21. Food, $150. Also, you will need to empty the trash Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, as well as sweep and vacuum those days. You will need to keep your bathroom clean weekly, prepare your own meals, and clean up after yourself. And if you fail to do so, I will charge you a $30 made fee for every day that I have to do it. If you decide that you would rather be my child again, instead of a roommate, we can negotiate the terms. That's a smart mom right there. That is a good mom. Isn't that good? But, but, but that's the way that our kids are growing up. That's the way that we live life. Think about the early church just for a moment, would you? What if they would have had that same sense of privilege, that same sense of entitlement, they constantly deferred to one another. And we might think that it was easy for them. You know, we look back then and we say, oh, wow, it was easy for them. It's harder for us today. It's so much harder for us today. I want you to look at the dynamics here. They had rich. They had poor. They had 20-something fishermen who were leading the church. You want to talk about a tough gig, that's a tough gig. Then they had the very religious people of high ranking who became baby Christians, and now these young 20-something Christians are leading these baby religious people. They had Peter. Can you imagine Peter if he would have had that sense of entitlement, what he might have said? He might have announced, I mean, his first message might have been, and the introduction was, hey guys, you know what Jesus said about me, don't you? Yeah, he's going to build his church on moi. I mean, that, that's, how, that's how important I am. Or John could have piped up and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you know what Jesus called me? He called me the one he loves. That is pretty, that's pretty good. Or they could have been even talking to each other. John could have looked over at Peter and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you denied him three times. And by the way, a little girl scared you. I mean, they could have had those kind of conversations. They had the mother of Jesus. Can you imagine? Everyone's ear tuned to the mother of Jesus. She could have probably said whatever she wanted, and it would have happened. They had the brother of Jesus. He's the one who bunked with Jesus. He's the one who lived with Jesus. He could have had his own way if he felt that sense of entitlement. He could have had those things. They could have had those things happen, but they didn't. They had every incentive socially, financially, religiously to not be committed to each other. But they were. They were committed to one another. 
You know, how do a, 120 people change the world? Right here. They were joined together. They lived in one accord. They were accountable to one another. They continue to remind each other to keep the main thing the main thing. And so constantly in their time of prayer, in their time of fellowship, they talked about Jesus raising from the dead. They talked about the mission that God had given them to go into all the world. They talked about how Jesus reduced really all the laws into just two things. He said, hey, you want to you know what the law is now? It's to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and do what? And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, get busy, you know? Get busy and do the Father's business, keeping the main thing the main thing, keeping it real in community. I would imagine that there were probably times that Peter told fish stories, you know, back then. And uh, I'm thinking that when he told fish stories, there was a listening ear. I mean, listening closer than maybe most. And that would have been, in my mind, doubting Thomas. I mean, he wants to know the facts. And so when Peter tells his story, he might have been saying that the fish is this big. And, you know, Thomas lifts his hands and says, no, 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 no. I, I was there. The fish wasn't, it wasn't that big. It was about that big. You know, keeping each other accountable to what was going on in life. That's what happens in community. Community keeps us real. And by the way, th- this is what our church is about and what we want to be about. It's moving beyond the little things and keeping the big picture. It's the reality of Jesus. It's making disciples that make disciples. That you see that happening. You see it constantly in our pathways with our kids, in our ID, in our one service, uh, with our life groups, with our recovery groups. All of those things are, are really designed to make disciples that make disciples. So here's the application question. Whose stories have impacted your life? I want you to take, uh, you know, maybe in the next 24 hours, if you would do this, take this bulletin home, go to the back, and I want you to write three, maybe three or four names uh, uh, of people who have impacted your life, who have influenced you. You know, I I did this, uh, and I try to do this on a regular basis, and I'll tell you why. Because it creates a, a gratitude in my heart, and it allows me to understand that I didn't get here because, you know, I'm so good looking and then I do all the right things. That, that's not how I got here. I got here because there are people in my life whose stories impact me and I wanted to be like them. I thought to myself, now those are the stories that I want to have. And so when you write their names down, I'm going to tell you, it'll give you a time of pause and it will give you a time of great appreciation for the people who have really maybe gone before you or in your life right now that have influenced you you in just a major way, that we would be grateful for that, that we would take that time of reflection, whose stories have impacted your life. And that brings us really to our next point, and it comes directly out of verse 14 again. And it says, and they kept, and this is the way they kept their story real. It was not only as they joined together, but what? It was through prayer, that they kept their story real, alive, fresh, through prayer. It says here they were constantly in prayer. So here's what so many believers believe. I, I, I've seen this and, and I've listened to this. We believe that prayer is about us influencing God. I mean, how many times do you go to prayer and you say, God, hey, listen, uh, you know what? I don't know what plans you have. Whatever you have on that whiteboard up there in heaven, listen, I have some things that I'd like to pitch at you, and if you wouldn't mind, take me into consideration. Maybe you'll wipe that whiteboard off and put my plans down. Listen, God doesn't work that way. 
God doesn't work that way. His ways are higher. His ways are greater. His ways are deeper than our ways. His ways are beyond us. And so prayer isn't about us influencing God. It's about God influencing us. And I think maybe the reason we think that we can pray and influence God, it goes back to our hyper-customization, the fact that we, have, uh, we can have anything we want when we want it. Prayer is about God influencing you, not the other way around. They weren't trying to convince God to do things their way. They absolutely knew that prayer was good for them, that when they prayed, what would happen is their hearts would be changed. That the way that they looked at the world, that the way they looked at relationships, the way that they saw God, the transforming way would happen in prayer. And so they went to prayer because they knew that's where God would influence their life. That's where God would transform them. It's all through the book of Acts. You read it everywhere through the book of Acts. In chapter 1, they prayed for guidance. In chapter 4, they prayed for courage. And I love this. In chapter 8, you know what they did? They prayed for the Samaritans. Now, if you know anything about that relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, you would, you would look at this and go, whoa, wow, these people are serious. They're serious because they're praying across racial and cultural divides. They're praying for people who have been their enemy. They're praying for people that in past days they couldn't stand But now it's a new day, a new way of living. And they're saying the gospel needs to get to these people. And so what we need to do is we need to pray for them. In chapter 9, they pray for Saul, who later became Paul. In chapter 10, they prayed for God's presence. In chapter 11, they pray before sending out people. They have this urgency. Now the gospel has to get where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So what do they do? They take this seriously. They pull people together two by two. They start laying hands on them, praying for them, and sending them out. Because they knew that was the power that that would change their life. It would happen through prayer. Prayer is about God changing you. It's about God keeping you real and alive and in touch with Him. And through prayer, our hearts are constantly being worked on by the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk just for a moment. I want to give you some practical ways to pray. There really are. There's some practical ways that we can pray. Before I do that, I want you to pay attention to it. And if you get a chance, go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And there it tells you that when you pray, you don't have to pray a long, long time. And you don't have to pray in King James language. You're all right. All right? You're all right with all that. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, the prayer, the prayer that I pray every day, it, it most often is one word. The word is help. God, I need help. God, I need help. I need you to help me. Can you imagine the disciples when they were facing whatever they faced? I'm thinking maybe they may not have had a long time during those moments where they were interacting with community to, to, to pray a long time. So I'm thinking their prayer was maybe like my prayer. God, help us. God, help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit right now. We need your help. You don't have to pray a long time. You really don't. Uh, when uh, my kids were little, uh, uh, my, man, I love my dad. My, my dad and mom, uh, you know, they're part of this church. And uh, they have just passed on this great heritage. 
And uh, they, they've really, really taught us and showed us the way to love the Lord. But I'll tell you, my dad could pray a long, long time, man. I mean, he could go. He can go. He just keeps going. He'll pray through. He could pray the Psalms. He could pray the New Testament. He could pray the Old Testament. He just keeps praying and praying. And, you know, none of his kids had the guts or the courage to say, hey, Pop, you know, you're praying along. That's your dad. You don't tell your dad stuff like that. You know, you don't say that. So one Thanksgiving, we're all together, and we're with our kids. So, the, so all of our kids are there. And my son was probably, Ronnie was probably, oh, four or five years old. And my dad starts praying over the Thanksgiving meal. And I'm thinking as he's praying, Dad, do the McDonald's prayer. Make it short, sweet. We know. We love Jesus. We've got food right here. You know, I can smell the turkey, potatoes. And I don't want to be ungrateful, but I'm telling you, we want to get. And my dad starts praying. And I know he's going to go for a while. He's going to pray a long time. And my dad has this habit that he'll pray for a while. And then at the end of a, a paragraph, he'll say, in Jesus' name. And he keeps going. And in Jesus' name. And he keeps going. My dad's pl- praying this paragraph, and he says, he gets to the end of his first chapter uh, praying, and he gets right there, and he says, in Jesus' name, and my little guy Ronnie says, amen, and all of us go, amen, amen, and we were, we were off, man, we were off, man, I looked at my boy, give me five, man, you don't know what you just did, you don't know what you just did, man, you revolutionized our Thanksgiving, man, you just did it for us, boy, I'm proud of you, you're my favorite son, I love you right now, you know? Listen, if God puts you in a place you can pray for a while, you do it. But I'm going to tell you this right now. Let me, let me give you some practical ways to pray. Do this. 60 seconds with your spouse, spouse in the morning, wherever that is. It might be in the kitchen. It, it might, it, wherever that is in the house, take time before you part company. And uh, listen, we're not, Annette and I aren't perfect on this, but we really do. We want to take time with each other in the morning. And, you know, sometimes you, you just got your coffee in your hand. You're looking at each other, and you're, you're getting on the same page. It's like a huddle. And you start to pray. We pray for our kids. We pray for you. We pray for people in our church. We just do that. And we take some time and pray. Here's another one. Two minutes after your devotion. Just take time. Whatever your devotion is. It might be that you are in a life group and you go through this, uh, the, the sermon notes, and uh, you can go through this and write some things down. You can pray right after your devotion, whatever that might look like for you. Five minutes, here's another one, five minutes on your drive home from work or to work, whatever that might be for you. Uh, before you flick on the radio, before you turn on music, before whatever happens, you, you take five minutes and you just take time and pray. And here's what I think you can do at the end of the day. Take three minutes to finish your day with prayers of gratitude. You know, I find this to be so encouraging, so helpful. It really is for me. And can I say something? I, and I'm going to tell you this. I'm gonna, it's not going to sound spiritual. But you know when I do this? I, I do this when I lay down on my bed. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be uncomfortable to pray. I haven't found it yet. So I'm going with the, what the Bible, you know, I'm giving, uh, there's permission there. So I put my head on the pillow and I just say, Lord, today... I'm so grateful that, that you've got me through this day. I'm, I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life. And I'll recite Psalm 1. I just kind of repeat Psalm 1. I just bring scripture and I just recite that. And I say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I say, Listen, there's nothing like finishing your day with prayers of gratitude. Nothing. 
Now, I'm going to add one. It's not on the list there, but I'm going to add it because I, I realized yesterday or day before yesterday after this was all put together, there was one other thing that, that I realized that, that, I, that, I, that I do, and I want to throw this out to you. You know, you, you live in communities. You live in neighborhoods. You, you live around people, and there are people in your communities, people in your neighborhood, people that you know maybe here at church, people you know from other places, and you see them as you pass. You might see them in the grocery store. You might see them while you're driving your car. You might, you, wherever you might see them in their front yard. Can I, tell, can I encourage you to do this? When you drive by someone you know, would you pray for them? Wow. They're called drive-bys. You just do, you know, you just do drive-bys. You know? I saw my friend Randy walking his dogs the other day. Just drive. I wasn't going to honk at him because it scared the dogs and scare him. Don't do that. Don't do that. But drive him by. Just, Lord, just give him a good day today. Bless him today. Keep him today. So that when you see people, don't, don't hey, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, it's a, there's a reason you saw them that day. And I, and, I, and I honestly believe that the reason you saw them that day is to pray for them. So when you cross people's path, pray for them. Here's a life application question. What are some distractions that keep you from prayer? Identify those. Don't be afraid. Don't be in denial. Look at them. Go through your day and say, what? Wow. It's your own busy mind? Is it? And usually it's probably electronic devices. I'm just guessing, you know, but I'm thinking that might be one of them. So you just go, what is, what is the thing that distracts me or the things that distract me? So here's our last point. How can I keep my story real? How can I do that? Well, I know it happens when I join together in community. I know that it happens in prayer. But here, here, here's another way. It happens by God's leading. It happens by the leading of God's Holy Spirit. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. And what I want you to do is just put your finger on verse 24. We're going to read verses 21 through 24. But this is so powerful. You know, when I, our boys were growing up, they, 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 played, um, they played a lot of football, and it was so great. It was so fun. We would go to the games, and Nett and I would, when I wasn't coaching, we'd go to the games, and we would sit together. And I'll tell you what, Annette was just as much fun to watch sitting next to me as is watching the boys play football. Uh, here's a mother watching two boys play a rough sport. And you know what? I think she only saw half the games. I'm almost positive because the other half, she was like this. She was like, oh, you know, and I know, I know when she talked or she yelled out that the kid, my boys could hear her voice. They knew their mother, don't hurt my baby, you know, and then one of them, one of her favorite ones when there would be these, you know, collisions, she would say, I hate when he does that. I mean, I looked at it and said, you know, you know this is a contact sport, right? You know that that's what this is all about. I hate when he does that. You know, and I know those boys, they had an ear. They had an ear tuned to their mother's voice. And I know it's still true because yesterday she was at her grandson's football game. And there was a recording of it. And I played it back. And I heard her mother or the boy's mother and grandmother yelling at the top of their lungs. Go, Jackie! Go, Jackie! Go, Jackie! You know, and I'm thinking, Jack's listening. He knows. He hears them. He hears them. You know why? I tell you what. Do you know why you can hear those voices? Do you know why? You can hear your mom's voice on a football field. I mean, 10,000 people there, and you can hear your mother's voice because you're wired to. You're wired to. And there's another reason. It's familiarity. You know, people say this, and I, and I get it. They say, you know, I have a hard time hearing God. I, 
I, I get that. But can I say this to you? You are wired to hear him. Don't give up. You are wired to hear God. Don't give up. That's the way you've been created. That's the way you're made. And maybe the way that you hear God is, is, is there's varieties of ways. I know for me, one of the places that I just feel, I just sense God speaking to me is when I'm just out in the open, when I'm out in his beautiful, awesome creation. I mean, there, I go out into God's creation, and it, this is a blessing to me. And I hear God. I can just experience his presence and, and, I, and I just, this is the way I'm wired. So I just go out there, you know, I just take advantage. I look at the birds. I look at everything. I just, I just, I look at a tree. And I look at that tree and go, wow, there's not another tree like that. That's pretty creative right there. That is absolutely creative. And you know what I do? I was driving with Annette. It's been a, about a year or two ago. She was driving. I'm driving down there. We're going out in the country. I'm in the passenger seat. And I'm just kind of staring out the window. And she said, what are you, uh, what are you looking at? And I said, Man, I'm looking at creation. I mean, this is just beautiful. And she says, why, why, does creation, how, why does creation affect you that way? And I said, you know why creation affects me that way? Is because I can look at God's creation and it reminds me of his generosity. His generosity shown to me because I can look at it and it's not asking one thing back from me. It's just all about him giving something to me. It's about his generosity. When you look around creation, you just need to know you have a very generous God. A very generous God. And when I look at creation, that's the way. And that's how God might, he, that's how God speaks to me. And he might speak to you in different ways. So look at verses 21 through 24. Therefore, it is, this is Peter speaking, and this is addressing Judas's um, suicide. You know, Judas denied Christ, and, and he committed suicide. And so then they have to come together. They need to choose someone to take his place. And so, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness, there's that word, I love it, with us uh, to, to his resurrection. So, they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas. Can you imagine having a name like that? Also known as Justice and Matthias. Now, I want you to look at verse 24, because here's the key. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. And then they continued and said, show us which of these two you you have chosen. Now, there are two thoughts in verse 24 that I want to bring to your attention. Two thoughts. The first is this, Lord... You know everything. Implying, I don't. We don't. God, we don't know everything. In fact, when you, you, know, you kind of put our stuff and what we know compared to what you know and, and all your stuff, it, we don't even compare. There's, there's no comparison whatsoever. What are they saying? They're humbling themselves. They're recognizing they're in a place of what the Beatitudes tells. They've heard it. Blessed are the poor in spirit for what they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. They understood the value of this. So what do they do? They don't step in here and say, yep, yep, we were with Jesus. We, we know this. We got this. We got this covered. We got this covered. No, they go to prayer and they say, Lord, you know everything. And we don't. And you know what? That takes some humility. 
That really takes understanding where you are, where you're postured in your relationship with God to be able to say, God, I don't, I don't know anything. I don't know anything you do. And I love what the next one, the next phrase, the second thought is this. So since, God, you know everything we don't, you show us. That's God's leading. You want to know how to be led by God? Can I tell you? Get out of the way. Get out of the way. We don't, it's not that complicated. We complicate it. I complicate it. All those things that spin around in this little hamster's you know, nest. All those things that spin around here. Get, what this shows me right here is God's leading comes this way. To come to him and confess, Lord, you know everything. I really don't know anything. So because you do, show us the way. Can I tell you that will revolutionize your life? And that will keep you real? That will keep it real in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It will keep it real. That when you come to God and you're saying, God, I fall on my face to you. They humbled themselves. They believed God was leading them. That's the way they lived. That's the way we can live. Can you imagine if in these next few days, next few months, that you took these, these three things that we've talked about here today, kind of joining together, you need community, and praying, and, uh, and following God's leading in the way that this, this, this uh, verse 24 shows us. Can you imagine that the things that might break out in your home, uh, in your school, uh, wherever you are, can you imagine that when you get together, then you said this, <laughs> you just prayed before you start, you were with me, God, you know everything, we don't, show us the way. Wow. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it goes beyond these walls. It goes way beyond these walls. It goes into your community. It goes into your family. It goes into your life. Precisely and exactly what the Holy Spirit is designed to do. He's designed to fill you to overflowing for the culture and community that you're part of so that you can live out and be that witness for Christ Jesus. That's amazing. It's amazing. I had one of my friends call me, uh, actually called me yesterday on the football field, and I, I want to take the call because it's always fun to talk to this guy. And uh, he calls me, and he says, uh, he said, Ron, I need you to do something. I need you to pray for me. I'm headed up to Tacoma. I just found out that my best friend since five years old, he had a stroke. And he says, I'm going up there. I'm jumping in my car right now. And I'm going up there, and I'm full of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to pray for healing. He goes, what do you think? And I said, go, boy, go. Do it. He goes, man, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this on the phone. And I'm thinking, there it is. There it is. He was one who said, hey, I don't know much, but God, you show me the way. He jumps in his car. He drove up to Tacoma to pray for his friend. Haven't heard the results. I'm going to tell you what, if he calls me again, I'm, I'm answering that call. What is God saying to you? How is he speaking to you? Confess that he knows you don't and just say, Lord, show me the way. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to invite our, our worship team to, to come forward and we're just going to finish our time together. Lord, you know everything. God, you know everything. You know every heart. You know everything. We know nothing compared to what you know. So Lord, show us the way. Move in our lives. We, we, we are in such desperate need for you. We need you to work in us. I mean, just to go about the daily 
the tasks of, of, of raising kids, of working, of doing the things that you've called us to do, we can't do that on our own. We, we don't have the power to do that. But you do. So, Lord, continue to remind us to keep it real. To keep it real. And that happens in community when we have people around us that, that we can iron sharpens iron, we can bump up against. It's so important to keeping it real. And, Lord, that we would be in prayer. And we have some ideas here today we can go away with, we can start to practice. And I know, Lord, that it grows from there. And, Father, and that we would always be following your leading, that we would keep in step with the Holy Spirit, and that, that we would have a heart to do that, a desire to do that. And it begins by confessing that we know nothing. It can, begins by saying that we are humble, we are poor in spirit. You know everything. Now show us the way. Show us, Lord, what each of us need to know in our life. Make the book of Acts real to us. Keep it real. Make it our story. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503 266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.